1: Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com.
1: Custom Inc. can help you recognize employees, show customer appreciation, and outfit your teams with your favorite products and brands customized with your logo. At custominc.com, you can easily make your mark on all sorts of products, including water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and so much more. Make Custom Inc. your go-to business partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing with personalized help when you need it, and an easy-to-use website when you don't, all backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to custominc.com to get started today. everybody welcome to who cares about the rock hall a podcast about the rock and roll hall of fame i'm your host joe quazala i know absolutely too much about the rock and roll hall of fame with me as always is my co-host who to her dismay knows too much about the rock hall at this point but she doesn't care so she has to wrestle with that every day of her life via zoom video chat it's kristen Sutter. hi kristen
3: hello any knowledge is too much knowledge and i have a lot of it
1: but every day you 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 lose a little bit more it's true uh, got to keep know. that
3: sieve open keep the drain <laughs> open let the information flow out make room for new important information
1: and you sounded crisp on that AKG microphone
3: can you taste the difference listeners ew <laughs> gross and i'm sorry
1: i'm not going to edit it out so nope. it's going to be in there it forever stays. Uh, I'm excited to have our guest with us here today. Uh, she is a writer, professor, author of the upcoming book, Liner Notes for the Revolution. It's Daphne Brooks. Hi, Daphne.
3: Hi. Hi, are you guys doing?
1: Good. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so excited to have you on the show. Uh, Joe sent me an excerpt from your book, and I was like, oh. <gasps> It, it was, it spoke very deeply to my soul and my feelings about, uh, the rock hall and also about in particular, like you hit on so many things in these two paragraphs that I was like, <laughs> oh, um, she really, really is speaking straight it, into my feelings. Uh, it was a, I it
0: was a killing me softly moment for you.
3: Kristen. It really was.
0: <laughs> you well,
1: stung that's my
3: being. Trying to evoke <laughs> your finger.
1: <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> Daphne, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about this book and and what it is.
3: Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, I was I originally was working for a long time on a history of Black women in popular music culture, and it occurred to me after many years of teaching this topic and writing articles related to it that I needed to actually start with the critics. <laughs> I needed to start with the critics and the institutions who actually produced the knowledge and the, as we call it in fancy academic speak, uh, the discourses of taste that define popular music culture. Um, so I came, became very interested in trying to tell this kind of twinned tale of both the historians, the critics, the record collectors, i.e. all of the dudes, as the late, great, and beautiful David Bowie would sing to us, and the ways that the dudes had related to and defined what's of value in popular music culture, and then the, the parallel part of the tale that's central to the tale is what are the women in the margins and the people of color in the margins, and specifically the women of color in the margins of this culture who are making and transforming the culture, underneath the radar. Um, how do they tell that story? How, they, how do they tell it through their music, through their artistry, but also through this kind of unregarded and long overlooked history of criticism and cultural critique that the musicians themselves were generating, but also really pathbreaking cultural figures like a Lorraine Hansberry, who was the groundbreaking playwright who wrote A Raisin in the Sun. She was a huge kind of culture wonk who did battle with You know, all sorts of critics from Norman Mailer to name anyone at the New York Review of Books um, during her short and stunning life in in the late 50s and early 60s. So I want to kind of tell this story of popular music culture through the lens of Black feminist intellectual history. That's the short version of it, but the Rock Hall pops up. Um, as right. a key villain, of course. Villain in the book.
1: Right. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it pops up relatively early because yeah. you know, to, to kind of contextualize what you're about to do, it's brought up that the way we canonize things in America, specifically mm-hmm. with places like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it is by almost definition through mm-hmm. a white male lens.
0: Yes. Yeah. Which is, you know, not rocket science, like in the sense that many people have come for Jan winner & Company. I mean, I have all sorts of beef with winner especially because, and I think I make note of this in the book. If not, I've done it in public. I mean, I'm a UC Berkeley alum. I have such a deep kind of complicated relationship to obsessing over rock music criticism that Berkeley was not only a family school, it's where my dad and my mom, who escaped the Jim Crow South in the 1950s, moved to the Bay Area, and my dad went to Berkeley. So it was a family school, but it was also a school that, as I became obsessed with rock music criticism, I came to understand is kind of central to the history of rock music criticism, since Jan Winter went there, since Grail Marcus, who is a friend and collaborator and mentor, um, I should say mentor, we have collaborated in some ways, yeah. So it's, a, it's kind of a key cornerstone place where rock music criticism took flight, where Jan Winner came to power as the co-founding editor of Rolling Stone. And of course, he then becomes central to the building of the edifice that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I wanted to be able to tell that story, too, about the birth of institution making linked to rock and roll music culture and my fascination with
3: it. And, yeah. you know, it's like institution making and then the gatekeepers therein and kind of who decides what's canon, who decides what's good, who decides what's popular culture, who keeps, who holds the keys. And it is usually white and it is usually male. And that has kept people out of even the discourse. And it has kept people from being able to become popular even. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: It's this kind of unspoken presumption that there are certain kinds of barriers in place in culture that generate the knowledge that we consume about culture itself. And I wanted to kind of lay that bare And also bring to the fore the way that the Rock Hall, even as we might think of it as this antiquated dinosaur exploratorium, still has in place generations of power that's linked to how we think about and how we relate to and how how we identify what's of value and what's not of value.
3: It's all built on the same structure of white supremacy that yes, ma- that much of culture is built upon, that much of American culture, white culture, popular culture, culture. At lo- at, we say like popular culture, what we mean is like white American culture in this right. regard, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: like, yeah, it's all built on the same bedrock of white supremacy, male mm-hmm. supremacy, mm-hmm. and it's baked into every mm-hmm. layer of it. And so mm-hmm. to even get at what could have been if people had been allowed more access Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. resources and to the public at large. And if just who knows what could have happened. And then we look back on it. It's, With all of history though you know it's like Mm -hmm. you look back on it and you have to view it through that lens of like Mm -hmm. we are being told based Mm -hmm. on all the people who've been in power for so Mm -hmm. long and Mm -hmm. so you have to just bake that into Mm -hmm. every single thing especially and this is even a new institution i mean it came Mm -hmm. in the 80s it's like we can really see what it was built upon like centuries of other bullshit and then just like (laughs) right on top just another little layer yeah
0: Yeah. I mean, I also was really interested in trying to think about power through the lens of pleasure. And that's something that I've learned in my studies and scholarship as a Black feminist scholar and critic. I wanted to be able to, to go back to that word that we, you know, I keep hitting upon taste to really get closer to the ways that those in power are producing these cultural spaces that are linked to their own pleasures and that that pleasure is informed by power and privilege. And so what would it mean if we shifted our focus to the folks who are outside of power, right? And have their own pleasures and desires as well. And ironically and weirdly, the story of rock and roll is about those people in the margins producing expressions of what's pleasurable and what's painful to them. And then the people in power consuming that art as pleasurable. Um, yes, trying to tell the broader tale, you know, of what rock and roll is. It's just what I was trying to to get at, and and I'm not alone. There are wonderful colleagues of mine who are producing great work like this as well. But this is a moment. This is a moment. 2020, 2021.
1: <sighs> I have to imagine it's your academic focus on Black women in rock that led you to the 2018. Rock Mm. Hall induction ceremony, which you attended in person. Yes,
0: Yes. so I've attended two. So that was the one in Cleveland, right? That's the one Mm -hmm. in which the reason why I traveled to Cleveland is that after many letters that were written um, by me and by colleagues of mine lobbying for Nina Simone's posthumous induction into Mm -hmm. the Rock Hall, that was the year that Nina and, you know, it was a, a bonus, long overdue bonus that Sister Rosetta Tharp was posthumously inducted that year as well.
1: Yeah, I mean there are and those are two The two
3: bright spots of the 2018 induction. That was like, a dark night. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> night.
1: Like yeah, two very long overdue, very worthy and interesting and great inductees, but yes. that is that was not enough to bring the 2018 induction ceremony out of what I would say that was probably the worst ceremony potentially of all time.
0: I agree, and it got off to a dazzling start. You know, in terms of a nader with Howard Stern inducting Bon Jovi. Yeah. That was the
3: structure of the live evening, I think. Right. Yeah. They restructured different. it because yeah. yeah. Stern wanted to come go, do go his speech and, and, and leave and go to bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they said, okay, you can go up top and do then we we'll put it want. at the end of the, the end. Yeah. HBO ceremony. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then John Bon Jovi did his epic grievance um, induction.
3: And, He's a poor guy, I really know, feel for him. We've you know?
1: brought this up many times, but especially given that class, he is so bitter about yeah. how long he had to wait. He had to right. wait. He had to wait nine years. Yeah. In comparison to literally oh, yeah. every other act. Absolutely. Specific and specifically, Nina Simone's sister right. Rosetta, who could right. have been inducted the very first year right. that the institute. That's, right.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. No, it's such a good point. The gall. Yeah. The gall. That was wild and really sort of interesting, and I I also recall that Stern did a couple of call outs to Jan Wenner not being in the house, if I'm remembering that correctly. Like, he, yeah,
1: because you was, know, with he the, did, the he agreements. didn't want Bon
0: Jovi going in.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, I think there there had been a leaked comment that Jan Wenner was not thrilled. Uh, <laughs> About the prospects and then eventual induction of, of Bon Jovi, which right. there's there's a place where I agree with Jan Winter. for <laughs> it's sure. True.
0: It's true, but therein lies the irony, and this is what I said to my husband as we were leaving the, the venue that night. It really, that year especially marked, it felt like to me, the final turning point in which the Rock Hall was committed to going back to the well as many times for... Some of the least worthy acts in terms of aesthetic innovation, <laughs> you know, vision, visionary uh-huh, kind artistry, of, you know, yeah. And, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. That that had gone out the window, and we were just trying to dig as deep as we could to get every white male act now <laughs> before actually addressing the 21st century full-on pivot towards and domination of not just hip hop but woman-dominated pop. Yeah. et etc. Et it's like, we're going to go back. We're going to do, we're going to start to do hair metal. By the time we get to Def Leppard the next year, we're just, we're going to do everything that we can to build that wall.
3: It out. And we will get to the bottom of every right. decade. First. Yeah, look they up for Literally rat. will. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> look it's up for, like, on this for rat, you know, we're round and round. Get, they're on that. Yeah. Exactly. Deal. We're going to get them all in there. We'll get winger. We'll get yeah.
1: winger. striper right? striper.
3: Yeah. White snake. <laughs>
1: Exactly. <laughs> White
3: snake is funny in campaign, probably coming Cinderella. up. Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, Cinderella.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, I like
1: did. just. Regret Michael. Mm-hmm.
3: Po- poison. Actually, I do think that there will come a day that poison will get. Not nominated or anything like that, but that Poison fans will unite. Joe Probably. froze in like the most horrified face <laughs> when I said that. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't, I play. wasn't,
1: that wasn't a, a technical error. That was actually me uh <laughs> frozen in time from what you said.
3: I just mean, I don't put it past any, I just don't put anything past. I, I It's not that I really do think that Poison could get in or even be truly considered. It's just like anything is possible. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah both good and bad. And I keep making these like- Well, that
0: is true because Janet Jackson's induction was really kind of fraught for me because there are people who should have been going in before Janet. It symbolized something important in terms of transitions as did Whitney, but it also seemed misguided in terms of thinking about this longer genealogy that the Rock Hall is not willing to come correct about.
3: And it seems to to have kind of like set up this, we get one black woman yeah, every right. year, right. period, full stop. Exactly. There can be no more. Maybe every year. Yeah. We're yeah. lucky.
1: We've Most been We've been quote
3: unquote lucky for two right. years, but right. you know, who knows? Right. That yeah. is the kind of stuff that really is bothersome to me because in order to course correct, you need to do an all ballot of color, like no white artists on the ballot mm-hmm. and it needs to be wow. over. Fifty wow. percent women, <laughs> like just one badass. year, That's and a then, mood, Kristen. That's a but I—it's the only yeah. way. You have yeah. to start if sure. you're if you're not going to just abolish sure. the institution, you sure. have to really do something big. Sure. Reform won't work. Yes. Is what I yeah. say when well, it comes to here. And so, if they really are serious about making a change, or if yes. this really is a big turning point, then yeah. make it huge. Yes. and it doesn't feel yeah. like it's coming anytime soon based on the people that I've talked to within the institution, they all seem to be like, no, we're doing it slowly, but surely we're getting there. And I'm like, not fast enough. Right. Um,
1: Yeah. And we also need more diverse voices within the nominating committee.
0: We do. I've I've heard that for years, you know, and little has changed. Um, I've known a couple of people who've been involved, Mm -hmm. one of color one not and it it just it feels like kind of a dismal process at this point of trying to transform right who makes these kinds of selections it would be interesting this I you know model that you proposed Kristen's making me think about this it'd be so fascinating to have a counter history of the rock hall classes each year to imagine the people who could have been inducted based upon their eligibility each year Uh (laughs) and who weren't, right? And see what you come up
3: with. That's also, that could be an episode series for us. I mean, we're going to run out of stuff eventually. Uh
0: (laughs) uh, Sadly, I think you won't, but that would be amazing. (laughs) That would be really amazing.
3: Yeah, like a counter history for like who we would have put in that year. Like rewriting it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I I should shout out Troy Smith at the Cleveland Plain Dealer has done something like that where he's gone mm-hmm. back and said like okay let's see how we could do this and how we could do this right and then yeah, kind yeah. Of proceeded
0: from oh, there. that's great
1: there's really no i'm trying to think of a way to do it worse and
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> although no. t-
1: in in fairness you know i know we talked about the the janet and whitney inductions that might be fraught with some <laughs> some issues but when you compare the most recent classes to 2018 was was such a low that I thought it was going to be a free for all slide. Like I thought, like oh, this it's over. Right, it's like, over.
0: I felt we, that way too. Yeah. We did we
1: did pivot a, a little bit back up a in, a, bit, in a better was, direction.
0: I mean, it was really 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 important to me as a Radiohead super fan to see them go in. That was so weird they didn't go in the first year. Yeah. According to like just convention and canon building, it was it was really kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, that was a huge um, although, huge shock.
0: Although, although and this gets into charged topics, but I found out after I wrote a piece about the blackness of Radiohead and my ideas about their relationship to, to black sonic cultures. You and why. Call it TV after on after the party. Radiohead? Yeah, TV. <laughs> That'd <laughs> be a <laughs> Radio, Mahavis, Park. But I, I discovered after I wrote the piece for The Guardian that um, they had a little tussle and it would have been right around the time of induction time. They were complicated with their reaction to the BDS movement in Palestine and it just it was, there were some dividing lines around it and Tom York made some statements that were quite charged in Rolling Stone. so they just may have been too hot to handle as yeah I would say Sorry. and
1: um, also the uh, one, one of the things <laughs> that was that was surrounding the possible induction for them their first year was that they were scheduled to perform in South America on the day of the induction. Oh, so
3: although we have been told by insiders that that had nothing to do with it, it that they didn't get the votes. Well, here
1: my my thought is like they were probably number six on the list.
3: How is that possible?
1: Which I know you would think (laughs) I I get and I get (laughs) the sense that then that and I also think maybe there were a lot of people who were like Radiohead is such a shoe in that I don't need to give them my vote. do it, right. I think that might have had a, a, a part, but yeah, I don't know. There There's a lot of theories, but none of them really add up. Radiohead is if you want a first year eligible act, like they are primed and ready, like what more right. could you have wanted?
0: Totally wild. I was happy to see them going the following year, the year that Harry Styles called Stevie Nicks a rock and roll Nina Simone, which it literally <laughs> threw up a little bit in my <laughs> mouth. But you know, what are you going to do? Oh,
1: no. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, what was the induction that you had been to before that?
0: The first one was 2018, and then 2019 was the second one.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, Brooklyn.
3: we were there. We were at the 2019, and,
1: and 2018
3: is the first one that I ever watched. Oh, Our when, show had been on for how long had we been a show? Just a few
1: weeks, and I was like, we'll start this podcast, and there's uh, – Wow. Yeah, oh and it really, it really put Kristen in a funk – for that like we're still maybe not out of
3: (laughs) I had to watch it in two parts I really couldn't believe it was still going yeah
0: (laughs) no, it was tough I think the most the the, there was a lovely moment when Rick Ocasek spoke and talked about the distance between getting Mm -hmm. I want to be careful with this either starting his career I I think
1: that that's it because I think they're a Boston band but I know Ben Orr who was with them was a Cleveland Cleveland guy and I think he spent some time and they may have met in Cleveland
0: right and so Right, so he started his career. You know, marked the place down the street where they had started, and to make it there, and it was very lovely. And then I also had issues with. Uh, I want to be careful with this. I, you know, I I appreciated seeing Mary J. Blige on that stage. I was concerned about the ways that Mary J. in the past had talked about her identification with Nina as being wrapped up in a kind of understanding of. The pain and injury that Nina Simone experienced in the industry and in life as a black woman; those are all crucial and important things. But it reminded me of Oprah giving Tina Turner the Kennedy Center Honors, in which she talked about her as a survivor. Also crucial. None of these things are not crucial to understanding the history of black women in America. But it took away from, in both instances, being able to talk about artistry, innovation, you know, the kind of uh-huh. path-breaking impact that someone like Nina Simone had on the history of popular music, how central she is to, to rock and roll history, you know, her alliances with Bowie and the ways that hip-hop has taken her up in recent years. My colleague Salamisha Tillet wrote a beautiful article about that a while back. So there are a lot of ways to talk about these women as musicians and, <laughs> it always seems to go especially along gender lines and and also racial lines you know what they've overcome as opposed what they've to
3: endured victim survivor what, they made, what they've uh, built you know yes, rather right. than about what they've built and that really reminds me again that I have not been banging the induct Tina as a solo performer drum enough lately oh so God. here I go bang bang so bang true. come the fuck on I can't so with this so I'm, true I really am now now right. I'm re- in, reignited that's, for how mad that's, I am about that's
0: it. The truth, Kristen, especially if to go back to Stevie she could now be inducted
3: twice come on now yeah. she You're- should be she should have been it's really upsetting to me that she is forever linked yes. with someone who is so publicly known as her abuser right. that's and right. That's right. that people are like well she's already in once and she's in with the one that like no, you should really hear some of the way that some of the right. old guard speaks yeah. about it it is very yeah. upsetting to me yeah and she really should be in there f- as a solo artist Absolutely. we need more women we need more right. living women we need yes. more black women That's so right. like you got a triple whammy put her in the double right. club let's yep. go just yep. do it just yeah. do it and also Please. you know I really do think if she got on the ballot solo, that she would get in.
1: Oh, absolutely! Oh, I think absolutely. she'd get
3: in right. I
1: she just think a minute you voter. put her
3: on the ballot oh, solo,
0: she would get in immediately. I have faith. That if Nina were on the ballot and it was between Nina and Poison, it'd be Tina. Sorry, no. Tina. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, it'd be Tina.
0: Then yeah, Nina if again. it was
3: between Tina and Poison, yeah. Tina would get in. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. Uh, that's it. Right. But Ooh, if yeah. it was between Tina and almost anyone, like I really exactly. do believe that she is transcendent as yes, far as her absolutely. ubiquity, her popularity, mm-hmm. her right. artistry. She is. Yes known she is beloved put her in as a solo artist is not that hard yes oh i forgot i really haven't banged that drum in a while i've been over here talking about pat benatar and i forgot about my girl oh. tina you know wow. gotta pat gotta benatar. do that she, she was on the ballot last year and did not oh, get that's
0: anything. right she's one of the hangovers that that has not been inducted right yeah. I think they'll probably come back to her now, but that is is—that's so also too. wild. That's yeah. absolutely wild.
3: Yeah, I hate if
0: you, it. If you think about her 80s peers who are in.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, let's get them go-go's in. Let's do it all. Let's well, really- Well, go-go's, I mean, that is,
0: yeah. Evelyn McDonald and I- she who's one of their great profilers oh, yes. and, critics. Oh, yes. and she, so, yeah. she's a like, she's
1: a friend and she's been yes. on the show and yeah. I, I yeah.
0: love she's Evelyn the champion of them much. and yeah that should absolutely happen it's true I also think I'm sure you guys cover this on the show but trying to be imaginative about who inducts is something that I hope that can be revisited in the future. For instance, Alicia Keys being trotted out for oh,
3: we talk about this
0: ceremony. W- we were just
1: talking about how, for some reason, she inducted Prince, and we were she like, "She did,
0: she did." And here's I, I have lots of feelings about Alicia, but I think let's just hold it around the fact that I did appreciate her in that context, primarily because if my memory doesn't fail me. She was partnered up with, with, um, Outcast. with Outcast, and Outcast nearly threatened to um, torpedo the entire occasion for any variety of reasons, between whatever was going on with Andre and Big Boy, but uh-huh. also just their, you know, their rejection of certain kinds of formalities that I think is great in rock and roll. What yes. we needed in that moment Poise. for someone you <laughs> right. know who spans the ages in terms of um, genius, like Prince, to have someone who could deliver a kind of lyrical meditation on you know his resonance, his longstanding impact on the radical potentiality of popular music culture mm-hmm. and blackness and popular music culture, and so I thought I was relieved that she did that.
1: And I think Absolutely. that's why they go back to Alicia Keys a lot. She's just super reliable. Like, you know, she she, she can give a great speech. She, she will prepare. Like, right. you no, know, you're not- Yeah, uh, she's going to do
3: the group project. You right. know, yeah. it's right, like right. the three of right. them are up there. Right. The outcast guys <laughs> are just kind of doing whatever and, they want. And Alicia yeah. is like, okay, everybody- yeah. I wrote. A yeah. Right. And I yeah. Will yeah. yeah. It, like... So I appreciate it.
0: I saw the Tupac tribute. So she wasn't inducting, but she was performing. performing. That was. I'm like, okay, you know. I mean, it. <laughs> I, I, I. I. don't it was a know. Creative.
1: Creative idea.
0: It was a creative idea, but it really does suggest we know three black female artists.
3: They are Jennifer we'll Hudson, her, right? Alicia Keys, and Mary J. And Mary J. That's it. Those are the three black female artists that that are allowed.
0: It's so
1: true.
3: (laughs) And then Audra Day, who,
0: you know, is like the stalwart for doing just tributes at this point. So we'll see how she does playing Billie Holiday in a Lee Daniels film. The trailer just came out today, but I have my concerns about Lee Daniels.
1: And I think we do have to quickly mention that one of the other reasons why 2018 as a ceremony was the beginning of the end was (gasps) the the introduction of the singles category.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Little Stevens, Little Pet Project. Yeah. Let's celebrate every song that was important to my youth.
3: (laughs) You know? (laughs) He and gonna- that and you know, you talk about gatekeepers, you talk about like the tastemakers of culture, right. people who believe that their personal opinion is canon, like yes. who believe yeah. that what yes. was important to them when they were a teenager in the 60s yes. and what would be on their desert island jukebox is deserving of yes. a place in history. And yes. then being their personal given opinion means that, that- <laughs> being given that platform. Yeah, yeah. It's total it's- institutionalization.
0: It's, I mean it would just never ever happen to a not white man. Like it just wouldn't. Like I know. And, well I, not. I mean, and the and the larger genealogical story that continues to be so, on the one hand, confounding and also deeply predictable is the way that he is a part of the Springsteen diaspora. And the sheer dominance of the Springsteen diaspora
3: and inside the of the reverence, the, the utter you know,
0: reverence. Every single, the- you know, if we're going to do that, then give Clarence his own induction. I mean, I think at this point,
1: <laughs> right? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the John Landau connection. It is the John Landau connection. Really yes. is
3: right, who special. was inducted this year.
0: He sure yes. was.
1: It's
3: it's the Springsteen. <laughs> it's like the the Church of Springsteen. Yeah. And again, don't get me wrong. I think Bruce Springsteen is great. I think he's a legend. Yeah. I think yeah. he's very important and good. Yeah. He is not <laughs> the only important and right. good person. And That's everything true. he does is right. not important and good. Yeah, so you know, we, We just have made it so that like you can't cut a minute of a springsteen speech Mm -hmm. everyone who's associated with him is also legendary and deserving and you can't cut a minute of their speech Mm -hmm. and they deserve to be also as important because they are in the sphere of the church of springsteen Mm -hmm. it's just it's true to Springsteen, I like that He's it's the like middle too much. The
0: Nicole Kidman of the Rock Hall like, Yeah,
1: you know? I. you know, it's funny just to think about He has been inducted, his backing band has been inducted yes. His manager has been inducted Yes, that's what it's, I'm it's, saying,
0: give it to Clarence yeah. Or better yet, give it to the Pointer Sisters For whom he wrote
1: Fire and,
0: Fabulous yeah. classic I don't love you,
2: but you know
0: Oh, are oh. one of the most important. I would love R&B to play your sisters episode. of the 70s and 80s. And if legibility for Rock Hall nominations goes to the point of actually reproducing Rock Hall history, i.e., covering <laughs> white rock classics, you know, take a listen to their cover of Steely Dan's Dirty Work. I'm a fool to do.
3: That not on point on pointer Un- unintended. sisters unintended
1: yeah yes <laughs> absolutely sisters. uh well uh daphne one of the difficult and frustrating things about the rock hall is that you know they don't really tell us why they induct people there's no real list of criteria that yes. they ever make public it's yeah. kind of a guessing game and then with certain inductees it becomes a more confounding guessing game yes but i've done my best to kind of reverse engineer a list of categories that I think if you do well enough in those categories, then you have a decent shot at induction. So we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to see how Grace Jones stacks up in the categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice little break there. Kristen, what do we hope they did over their break?
3: Boy, I hope you really had just an incredibly revelatory conversation that uh, will stay between you and the people you had it with.
1: Great. Uh, So let's talk about Grace Jones. Grace Jones uh, actually became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2001.
0: Oh my god.
1: Because her first her first release was a yeah. single in nineteen seventy-five, uh, I need a man. I need a man. Perhaps a man like you. I need a man to make my
0: dream come true. That's right.
1: And Grace Jones, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Grace Jones, uh Daphne, how would you summarize this artist.
0: Grace Beverly Jones, bold risk-taking, experimental musician, transcendent performer. She carried avant-garde spectacle and queer art world adventure and aesthetic transgression into the pop world mainstream. She's an artist who broke all sorts of boundaries in the mid to late 70s, post-punk, new wave, um, disco circles, she toyed with and subverted racial and gender norms and conventions in popular music culture. She seized upon the visual and sonic language of androgyny that one associates, associates, for instance, with glam rock. And even before that, with the early rock fabulosity of the likes of Little Richard, she claimed both masculinity, I'm using scare quotes here, and a kind of arch cyborgian post-human Um, kind of stylings as these categories that she could play with as a cisgendered Black woman, a Jamaican immigrant, that she would try on and dispose at will. You know, she called attention, I think the most important thing that I would kind of flag for Grace Jones, actually there there are many categories, but let's let's just call attention to the fact that she really emphasized the performativity of gender categories, and social and cultural identity formations, you know, that would impact generations of musicians. Of course, I'm thinking of Madonna, the entire 80s New Wave era of artists, um, all the way up to Gaga, our entire 21st century postmodern pop artifice and edge, you know, series of acts from Wrecking Ball era Miley to you know, somebody like Halsey. We can even think about the ways that she anticipates kind of Black diasporic Caribbean pop that mm-hmm. comes to us in the in the scintillating form of Rihanna. She paved the way for them all, right? That's kind of the most legible and recognizable way of kind of understanding Grace Jones' impact. And then we haven't even talked about her close associations with Andy Warhol and her problematic associations with John Paul Goode, visually kind of, collaborated with her in terms of this visual iconicity but there are all sorts of other ways to kind of understand her in terms of her sonic artistry um the fact that she she covered like you know huge swaths of you know new wave and Mm -hmm. post-punk music and made it her own and there were artists like Marianne Faithful and Sting who wrote for her she's extraordinary and she knows it and in her I think it's the best rock and roll memoir I've ever read I've got it here with me I'll Never Write My Memoirs. I I highly recommend this. It's a page-turner. It's gossipy, but also very heady and almost scholarly in the ways that she talks about her immigrant life, about post-coloniality, about anti-Blackness, about queer liberation. She being a straight woman who kind of played with the boundaries of how we understand queerness. I could go on and on and on, but it is insane and also not surprising at all that she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame
1: yeah well, that that's a great introduction uh, for this segment. <laughs> and we can continue to talk about her as we go through these categories
3: yes. Now I'm getting very excited to talk about her because my familiarity with Grace Jones is mostly her image. I am yes. mostly familiar with her image. She is she has such an incredibly like impactful and iconic. Look, oh, yeah, and I have always thought of her as just this like incredible model, otherworldly, like alien, androgynous kind of like person. And I'm really interested to learn more about her music as well. So I'm like getting very excited about the whole thing, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Her, she exists as an icon, and I think specifically when you put it in the context of like the 80s, the kind of like persona 80s. And it's my first exposure to her was as a little boy because she's on the Pee-wee's uh, Christmas Oh special. my yes. God, I forgot that. And her place in that type of special and that type of world almost yeah. makes sense. Yeah, Like you almost have like two <laughs> visually uh, s- striking yes. characters in a way. Yeah,
0: yeah. She comes well, out of
1: a box that yes. was delivered. Oh my
0: God, I forgot that. Yeah. Well, you're, you're that's so true. I mean, you know, one thinks of camp and also a kind of Brechtian critique to get you know deep wonky you know Bertolt Brecht being leader republic dramatist who you know ends up forging this revolutionary theater that's focused on alienation right how do you yeah. alienate your audience so that you become aware to the artifice of life right and that was that was an anti Third Reich move it's it's certainly something we continue to do now but Grace Jones and and P B Herman together were especially important to understanding the sort of neocon conservative culture and and the rise of a kind of transatlantic conservatism in, in the 1980s and how weirdly pop music culture be- became the kind of respite to all that. Yeah, With Madonna, with, with Prince, with Michael Jackson. Very um, much so. Grace
1: Jones. So let's go to the first category, which is iconic slash recognizable songs. Now, admittedly to the average person, they might not know. You don't hear I feel like Grace Jones songs that much, just kind of out in the world. Uh I would say though, to me, her biggest song is pull up to the bumper. <laughs>
0: Which is an, is an original. She read that.
1: Right. And as you mentioned, she has a number of cover songs that she really reimagined. Yes. Uh, I I'm thinking of Livia and Rose as a good yes. example. turning it into almost like a bossa nova right. version yeah. of an edith piaf song yeah and then if there's if there's another one that i think people might be familiar with maybe it's slave to the rhythm
0: Definitely. also marks her historic collaborations with sly and robbie who are these jamaican dance hall icons and chris blackwell her longtime producer for over 40 years, she's been close to Chris Blackwell, who is tied into the, to the New Wave scene through the Pretenders and a variety of different acts from that era. She's a, the-
1: a Rock Hall inductee for mm-hmm. you know founding yes, Island Records. And the <laughs> next category is classic albums. You know, does Grace Jones have a classic album? And if we kind of chart her discography, she started as almost like a disco artist in the late 70s and had a few releases doing that. But once disco no longer was in favor, she pivoted and really the the career that we associate with her kind of began. Her association with Mm -hmm. the Compass Point, All Stars and her three album run, starting with Warm Leatherette and then probably for most people peaking, the pinnacle being the album Nightclubbing. Mm-hmm. And then the third album being living my life. But yeah. I would say if there is a classic Grace Jones album, even down to the album cover, mm-hmm. which it shows her she's got the flat top haircut. She's giving that that Grace Jones glare to the yep. camera and she's got a cigarette that's pointing directly down from yep. her dangling from her mouth and the mm-hmm. broad angular shoulders it is iconic just, just for the cover alone, but also what you were doing musically and sonically in that album, I think would be considered yeah. classic as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's a beautiful way of kind of encapsulating how her visual economy was so in line with her kind of sonic palette. So the the edges are all there. You know, she works with yeah. the edges, sharp edges. And she's so fascinating too, I think, because. You know, probably one of the arguments, if there were ever one to be made within the Rock Hall circles about inducting her, would be those kinds of associations with rock and roll iconography and all of the the covers. You know, she also covered Roxy Music and Tom Petty. that makes her legible, which I find problematic that will become legible to the canon. But, you know, to go back to remembering the fact that she's a Jamaican immigrant and that a lot of her tropes that she talks about in her memoir too are about really embracing the idea of being the stranger and really, you know, leaning into the strange, right? Which goes back to the ideas of alienation. Um, So that edginess and that sharpness is another way of claiming rock and roll's core mythography, which is subversion and disruption and resistance. Um, You know, all of that you can see both visually in what she's doing and also in terms of her sound. And then there are the diasporic sounds. I mean, let's not forget that there's quite a bit of, you know, just dance hall aesthetics and, and reggae that are kind of almost manifest themselves as ideas in her music, as opposed to kind of actual authentic reggae. She sort of plays with those genres, too.
1: Now, let's connect to the next category, which is a very gatekeeper-y category, which is critical acclaim. And mm-hmm. let's, let's connect it with the, the most gatekeeper thing in the world, which is, do you guys think Grace Jones has an entry on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here. Well, I'm, uh, they just did a redo in 2020. This is the thing, the 2020 new list. I'm pretty good at guessing these I, I was, and then they did the re- redo. Cause I used to be pretty good. She definitely is not on the first two. She's not on 2003 and she's not on 2012, the 2020 redo. There's a possibility. I don't think it's likely. I think if she is on it, she's in the like 480 plus Right. And I think it's for the album nightclubbing, but things got really shaken up. The 2020 list is not a young winner list. It It is a much more diverse list and it is very, very much reflective of the time. The top 100 got shaken up quite a bit. There's a lot uh, more diverse artists on the list. That I still don't said, think. I still don't think she. I still don't think she wound up on it though.
1: No, Grace Jones is not on the on any <laughs> <so>. okay. 500 <laughs> albums list.
3: What a cliffhanger! Really. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you can. I was it.
3: over here. Well, I was just trying to calculate. Like, like what it could it have happened? No. Like, could she be 499?
1: You know, who knows? But let's talk about how Grace Jones does in terms of critical acclaim. I wouldn't well, say that she was yeah. necessarily a darling, but I also think, though, the kind of daring nature of her work right. was respected critically.
3: I also, you know, something that I've been thinking about a bit is like the fetish fetishization of black female sexuality. And I think about like older white men talk about Grace Jones. Yes. That feels like it is almost like it's like dangerous and exotic. her Her androgyny Mm -hmm. is, is dangerous and exotic in a very homophobic culture. And then also in a very racist culture, her Mm -hmm. beauty and blackness, and because she Mm -hmm. is such a dark black woman, like is very much like, Ooh, danger, you know, and it's socially acceptable because she is, but, but like only in that way. Right. It's like she is being boxed in in this in this way. And I think I think of it in that way of like maybe critics. I don't know what critics were saying about her, but I can only know what I the the lens that I have seen it through, Mm -hmm. which has been that lens of. She is this like singular alien. She must be an alien because she is so, right. you know, androgynous and dark. I, I just wonder how that factored into the criticism of her or embrace of her.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my recollection of the history of criticism that I was consuming in my teen years in the 80s um, and early 90s is that she was hardly covered at all, uh, except as kind of a media spectacle. Um, and that, that you know, spanned the racial pop culture spectrum, although it has, you know, a history of colonialism, which you just really encapsulated in your remarks, Kristen, in terms of, you know, the fetishization of, you know, dangerous and sexually desirable, commodifiable Blackness. And then a kind of fascination with and mocking of it along the kind of more social propriety guidelines of Black middle-class culture, you see her in a famous cameo in, in Eddie Murphy's middle-class love story, Boomerang, in which she plays a send-up of herself, of, um, an older model called Stranger. So I almost think we're more like, and again, this dates me, somebody like perceived as being something like Charo, who was a Latin American fixture on mm. you know 70s talk shows, as opposed to being taken seriously as an artist. Now, you know, her partnership with Good, which is... man, Jean-Paul Goudre was her life partner for a period of time and also her artistic partner, who also one could say her colonizer. (laughs) And yet she resisted that colonization. I mean, they just had a, it was a hot mess of a relationship. Again, see the memoir. Um, But (laughs) their their collaborations were about trying to weaponize and subvert, at least on Grace Jones' part, the commodification of her blackness and her sexuality along that Mm -hmm. axis. But I don't remember reading reviews of, grace jones albums and rolling stone
1: yeah so, i mean i think uh an album as big as Nightclubbing, you know necessitated a review but i think anything right. before or really after didn't get a ton of attention really if there's anything critically it's almost in retrospect like Definitely. pitchfork has reviewed the re-releases yes. and that has always been very favorable
0: yes yes i mean there's been a huge i will say there's a huge amount of interest. One could call it Grace Jones studies at this point in my world of academia. I have many former students who are writing Grace Jones papers and dissertations. Gary McMillan, my former student and colleague at UCLA professor, is working on a project on her. And I neglected to say, I can't believe that I left her out. But obviously, I think the missing link here who has pivoted people back to thinking about Grace Jones is Janelle Monet.
3: Um, that is one of the ones I was going to say when we were speaking earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But she. Yeah, well, I went on this weird
0: palsy leap, but I knew I was having a <laughs> blind
3: spot. I'm like, why did I go? of
1: course
3: she is very much who I and we will talk about too, like influence and like also who we think should induct her etc etc I'm like it's got and like if Janelle Monáe is not in the conversation about this then we're not having the right conversation because if you even like look at the cover of her first album or her first wide release album it feels Arc. very Grace Jones Arc Android, yeah, right. where she's right. got all the angles and the right. space and all that stuff. And oh. I know it was about oh, the movie Metropolis Blum. as well, but like, mm-hmm. yes, impact and influence. I know we will cut co- that's one of the categories, yeah. okay. I know we'll yeah, come to right. it eventually. But like, what is the next category, Joe? Am the, I skipping?
1: The next category is uh commercial success, mm. uh, okay. So you know, I feel like in America, and you know, the Rock Hall isn't necessarily an American institution, but it is kind of by default. Uh, she did not make a, a huge mark commercially in America uh, in terms of selling records, but you know, internationally, it's a it's a different story. But I I wouldn't position her as Where someone. Where did who, she
3: was she popular in the UK? Was there like UK in France, right? France.
1: And kind of across Europe.
3: Yeah, I would think. Well, I mean. Nightclubbing, some might say. Nightclubbing, (laughs) nightclubbing,
0: literally, right. She is legend in Black queer circles and, I mean, queer circles of color and queer subcultures more broadly. And I, I think that can't be understated in terms of the importance of, or overstated, sorry, in terms of the importance of how she manifested the kinds of aesthetics of queer nightlife and transported them to the mainstream to the extent that she had any kind of crossover celebrity and also was beloved by those communities for being able to encapsulate kind of, I would argue, the post-Stonewall history of popular music culture in a way. I mean, you know, she's disco and cabaret, she's masquerade and Broadway musical She's all those things. And the fact that she, again, she's a cisgender, cisgender woman who identifies as straight, but who has you know, birthed all of these queer allies. Let's go back to the fact that people claim that Madonna was the person who broke through in making queer of color subcultures legible and consumable. But Grace
1: was there before her.
3: I'm starting to rack up some people that I want to see at the yeah. induction oh, in here. Uh, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. The next category is longevity. Her first album was in 77 and her first single was in 75. So she had this disco career pretty much to the date right to the end of the 70s. And then the next phase of her career started in the 80s and then right up to 89. And those are all the her album releases. And then she didn't have another album after that until 2008. So really her run spans the entirety of the 80s and a little bit of the 70s, which I would say is a good run. And she produced a lot of interesting work during that period.
0: That is definitely true. And we should think about what she was doing at that time when she wasn't recording albums. She she becomes a character film Star in a sense, you know, she does a James Bond
3: movie. She does Boomerang. Um, she partners up, and she did the Pee Wee Herman special. Exactly, right? <laughs> she was part of culture. She was right. Like-
0: She's a part of culture, right? And her iconicity moves beyond popular music culture itself. Yeah, you know, I think it's significant again that that's those these are you know parallel in kind of the years of Madonna's dominance so there's a there's a way that she begins to translate all of that energy into other spaces i do want to also flag that that 2008 comeback which she wouldn't call a comeback is a really remarkable record i mean it is it's a record that i think should have been in top 10s it includes the track that's a, a semi autobiographical track william's blood that Wendy and Lisa wrote for her, you know, kind of chronicles her life as a daughter of a Pentecostal preacher and, you know, her rebelliousness. It's just, it kind of, it gives you the story of Grace Jones. She went on tour at that point. She started to think, she doesn't perform Afropunk until much later, but she becomes kind of legible to the Afropunk set generation of fans at that point in a new way, in a newly felt way.
1: Okay, next category is influence. Now we've touched on this already, but we we can keep going I mean there's influence both what she was doing visually and then what she was doing with her music which both I
3: think somebody who hits both of those as well of we talked about Janelle Monet as like musical and visual influence and impact I also think RuPaul is someone that we should bring into the conversation as far as like visual stuff like Mm -hmm. you know and also someone that I would love to see like there wouldn't be a RuPaul without a Grace Jones in some ways and we wouldn't have the we now have like a ubiquity of of queer culture that we didn't have for a long time i'm sure that rue would cite grace jones Mm -hmm. as like Mm -hmm. one of her main influences and thinking about like club culture in the 80s as well and how kind of queer it was especially in new york there are just probably so many artists and and also just thinking about what have, would have been considered like a floor filler mm-hmm. in the late 70s, early 80s. And also just kind of her iconic status. Like she's someone mm-hmm. I know who she mm-hmm. is without right. even knowing. I know pull up to the bumper because mm-hmm. I run a dance party and sometimes people will put it on their playlist. Fine. But like, I didn't ever know it growing up. I never heard it on the radio, mm-hmm. but like, I know who Grace Jones is. That's I probably saw that. It does belong on special. the
0: radio. It belongs deep in the
3: club. That's yeah.
0: a serious, like, sexual liberation, queer sexual liberation anthem, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and
3: I just think her impact is probably the biggest, this is, like, her category to shine in, mm-hmm. is that it wasn't necessarily that everybody knows a Grace Jones song or has a favorite Grace Jones song, mm-hmm. but it's, like, her existence was mm-hmm. important to things that happened afterwards. Yeah, and her you know, legacy
1: is, yeah. you know, apparent anytime you see a pop star with like a giant dress or like right. an insane hat that's like a mile long. I like mean, it- Harry
0: Styles and Billy Porter, you know, mm-hmm. are two people I could mm-hmm. see. Harry Styles more appropriate to be inducting Grace Jones than Stevie Nicks. I can't get over that so. <laughs> But It'd be interesting to see who would induct her because of the ways that she's thrown shade on so many people. So for instance, when, I'll never, my memoirs came out and she did a New York Times interview. She actually threw heavy shade at Janelle Monet, along, the, you know, at the level of like Mariah J-Lo. I don't know her, you know? Kind wow. Of like, yeah. So it's complicated. It is
1: complicated. Cause yeah. she has, when I was thinking about this, uh, she has thrown shade in that same interview mm-hmm. on everybody. Everybody. Like, to the point where I'm Please, not entirely sure. Who- right. So it was like Madonna, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, Rihanna. It was covering the swath.
0: I think it's fair. You know, she's the progenitor and has to sit and watch, you know, all of this flourish.
1: Mm -hmm. And people copy her, which that was, you know, the main sticking point was like, do something original. All these people are doing things that I already did.
0: Yeah. She actually talks about that at great length. There's a particular artist. She doesn't name her.
1: Doris. Um,
0: Yes is right. the code name? I kept trying to figure out, is it Madonna? Is it Gaga? I think it might be Gaga. I think it's but Gaga because there had been a person. There's and been... <laughs> she plays instruments.
1: Yeah, there there are just many people on the internet who are trying to parse out who Doris could be. Because there are a lot of clues, but like, are some of the clues meant to mislead you? And uh, anyway, it was and fun to, to try and figure it and out. this was but...
3: in the interview that she did, or this is in her book? In her memoir. There's okay. a whole passage
0: about this person and about this person seeking her out for mentorship and alliance. And again, I think it's such a brilliant book because there's so many dimensions of Grace Jones on display in this book. Not only the gossipy side, which is delicious, but really thinking long and hard about what it means to be an artist and an innovator and the nuts and bolts of what goes into creating art. And she's really working as a critic to kind of take apart the pitfalls and perils of this person's repertoire and why she feels she can't help this person i mean it's heavy shade, <laughs> oh wow and it's also like some gangster og super veteran kind of wisdom yeah. it's really it's a fantastic book it's 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 so fun and brilliant i would teach it i hope to teach it
1: at some point. that'd be great next category is artistry slash skill And I think Grace Jones doesn't get the credit she deserves as a musical artist when she gets a lot of credit for being Grace Jones.
0: Yes. You know, so I like to think of um, musicianship capaciously, instrumentality encompassing voice, as well as all sorts of other kinds of chops and virtuosity.
1: Um, Right. It's something you talk about in the book.
0: I do. Yeah, thank you. And I also think that, you know, the elements of, performance innovation at the level of the visual, the kinesthetic meaning, you know, related to movement are, are super important too. And so piecing that all together, I think we could we could talk about Grace Jones' voice, the androgyny of her voice, the ways in which that kind of cold alienation um, is something that is, you know, there's a, a clear through line in, in rock and roll superstardom in which you see people playing with the kind of deep richness of a, a complicated and let's say not intimate kind of voicing. So I'm thinking of everybody from Bowie to Eggie Pop, right? And that actually is important in terms of innovation because it rejects the kinds of presumptions that black women vocalists are supposed to always make you feel good and be uh, effusive in really electrifying ways, like an Aretha, which is so important, but. You know, Grace Jones exploded the kinds of paradigms in which we understand Black women to be vocalists in pop and rock and roll. I mean, her visual act is just extraordinary. I mean, we could talk about costumes, we could talk about masquerade, we could talk about masks pre-COVID, just the ways that masks so important. Right? Oh, not just this was like a you know such a big part of her stage routine, especially in the um, the post-08 comeback world in which she used masking and also just haute couture. And we didn't talk about this. This is something I forgot. I just want to flag like Kristen, you said early on the fact that she starts as a model. I think there's a stigma attached to that unless you're Debbie Harry, a really problematic stigma, all stigmas are problematic. But but she kind of subverted the spectacle of haute couture. It became a part of the danger that she was able to kind of perform and stylize. And, And that, Ties us to punk and Vivian Westwood and and all of that. So, all of those pieces and elements put together, you know, give you this really explosive repertoire a la Bowie. I mean, I really do think she's as impactful and as innovative as Bowie, and that we could think of Sly and Robbie as her Brian Eno. And you just imagine if she'd been a dude, a white dude. Oh, wait, I can because that would be David Bowie. But (laughs) yeah, I think. God may he rest," he would say as well, since he was a huge champion of black women's artistry. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. All right, so we're we've made it to our final category, maybe the most important category, which is does my mom know who they are? <laughs> and my mom absolutely did. And like we said, it, she's kind of a ubiquitous cultural icon. I don't think my mom could name any songs, but like absolutely with that, like without hesitation, was like, oh yeah, for sure, Grace Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and i and i think yeah she just she has permeated the culture you know whether it's through being in one of the conan movies with arnold schwarzenegger oh or <laughs> whether it's the music or the appearances on tv and whatever she's she's a living legend i think
3: she really uh, is i literally just texted my mom i said grace jones question mark and she said oh yeah
1: <laughs> nice nice
3: that's very much a My Mother answer, yeah. and yeah. I guarantee you, she yeah. definitely, it's like one, yeah, she's a ubiquitous figure. She is someone yeah. that everyone knows of and I do say that the popularity of like drag race and kind of kind of queer and drag androgynous culture has I think raised her profile in a way as Mm -hmm. well made her more of like someone that you would want to go back and look into it's certainly been the case for me you know I'm like oh yeah I'd love to know more about this very interesting and intriguing person and Mm -hmm. also a thing that we haven't Really touched on just yet is that she's still alive, which I think is a very, very we like that she's still alive. <laughs> yes, we, we like to be having this conversation alive. while she's still ha- while she's and, still alive. And let's flag that
0: Sophie Fines, Rafe Fine's sister, is a fantastic filmmaker. Made a marvelous documentary about Grace Jones. I think it's brilliant and it really disposes of the kind of talking head documentaries. I mean, talking right. head in the sense of commentary, not talking head David Byrne. Yeah. And in that sense, it, it is a manifestation formalistically of the kind of experimentalism that we come to associate with Grace Jones. It's, it's not an easy film. I think it was for me very easy to digest after reading the memoir because it felt like such a beautiful extension of it. So I wanna recommend both of those things. The other thing I just want to really flag right quick is that, you know, Grace Jones, as much as I want to talk about her being this pathbreaker who explodes the scene, this originator, as Little Richard would call it, she also is the repository of this much longer, unheralded, disregarded history of Black women performers who were experimentalists, who used irony in order to combat you know racial stereotypes. So everyone from Josephine Baker, who was Saint Louis born and bred and becomes a huge star in the Parisian music hall scene during the Harlem Renaissance, to somebody like Eartha Kitt, who deserves tons and tons of love letters to, who also burrowed really deep into French cabaret and then becomes a part of jazz supper club club culture, and then along the same lines as Grace Jones, has this kind of kishy you know, iconicity late in her career, you know, she's playing Catwoman in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about her playing Catwoman, Tina Turner and Mad Max, and unfortunately having to remember now the Conan, uh-huh. and Grace Jones, okay. but these Black women who don't fit into these kinds of cultural representational categories that we expect Black women to fit into, who are edgy and who push convention and who critique the very notion of convention that's jacketed. Grace Jones is a part of that legacy and she's bequeathed that legacy to someone like Janelle Monet.
1: Well, it's time for our verdict. Should Grace Jones be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will she get in? And if so, when? And we'll start with Kristen.
3: So I have been, since the very beginning of this episode, thinking a lot about my LaBelle verdict, (laughs) a thing that (laughs) I, yeah, from a few weeks ago, in which I said, I just didn't know if they had had enough impact. and. It's very rare for me to, because I just am like, put everybody in. I don't fucking care. I don't think this thing is real anyway. And so just like, I just stop. And then I don't know. I guess I've, I've been thinking about it since the beginning of this episode because I've been really kind of confronted with the concept of who decides what impact is made, who gets to... Mm-hmm create the canon. And the answer is like, we get to create the canon that we want. And if I can't put LaBelle in, in my Mm -hmm. ideal world, Mm -hmm. then what am I doing? And so I just reverse- And so when I think about these categories that we have, they're pretty arbitrary. Joe invented them, but they're based on this also arbitrary institution. And they are meant
1: not to necessarily evaluate someone's merits, but it's more of a reverse engineering of do they have a shot based on the system that is already in place? Mm
3: -hmm. Exactly. And so, and I think that I have to almost decolonize my mind in that way and like be like we don't need I don't need to think of what they would do I can make my own <laughs> make right, my that's own what the, that's what the
1: should part that's what that's about. what
3: the should part is about mm-hmm. and so in the should part I put Grace Jones in yes yes mm-hmm. I do I also backdoor I put LaBelle in too so just let have it on. The it was a very shocking ending to an episode for yeah, me. I and I it. think we've all I've been thinking about it since we started this, especially just with the canon stuff. Anyway, should she? Yes. Will she? I don't think so. I think that we look at the institution as it stands. I think you look at the fact that Tina Turner is not in as a solo artist. You look at the fact that respect for her type of innovation is severely lacking in this institution. And so I don't think that there is a time. I mean, I think that people could make a case for her. I could see some people who are currently on the nominating committee putting her name out there. I could even see her possibly getting on the ballot, but I don't think that she could get in based on the current voting body, even if she got on the ballot. That just says a lot about where we're at. It's a hard time out there, and that—that's just what I think. So,
1: okay, Daphne, what do you think? Should she? Will she? And if so, when?
3: Um, should she? Absolutely. If
0: 2020 has taught us anything, and it's taught us many things. Oh yes. And of those many, many things, it's that Grace Jones should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, will she? I could see a scenario similar to, but it, this depends on. Again, this is. This is how, you know, legacy admissions works in my part of the world in university culture. But the scenario would be Joan Jett performs the induction concert for Nirvana and Chris and Dave very strategically get her nominated. In the ne- the and next year. In the, next mm-hmm. to the very next year. I mean, and that was, a, that was a brilliant move for a variety of reasons, famously of course, because they had all women covering Nirvana mm-hmm. taking on Kurt's vocals. So it would have to be something like that. But I mean, I do think that Grace is similar to Joan in the sense that beyond I Love Rock and Roll, you know, Joan absolutely belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it's not her hits that are the reason why she she should be there for the people who care about her. It's what she birthed. And actually, I think that Grace exceeds Joan and I don't want to pit them against each other, but in terms of the range of, Innovation in terms of her entire performance aesthetic. It's just much more capacious and a different kind of edgy rather than edgier, I will say, Mm -hmm. that seems to matter in rock and roll culture.
1: So, yeah, and you definitely see Grace Jones in the artists of now way more than you see Joan Jett.
0: Very much so. And again, Mm -hmm. I don't want to take down my girl Joan, who, you know, held up. The feminist torch when Chrissy totally broke our hearts. So, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, the resonances of what Grace Jones has done over the core of her career are felt in all aspects of pop now. And that's transformative. So who's it going to be who's going to take on the, the Dave and Chris role to push her forward? It's hard because to go back to the legacy trope, it would require another artist to is closely aligned with grace or grace is palpably meaningful to them to make that kind of a case i'm not sure janet is going to be the person to do that
1: right and we've talked before about you know grace is not friends with a lot of the people no. <laughs> influenced
0: no but you, know. you need you need a good white ally like i keep going back to him it's just his birthday and just the fifth anniversary of his death but the great david boy or prince both of whom i'm i'm working on an anthology of their of their careers through beautiful essays that people wrote for a conference that I held at Yale a year after they passed So that's coming but you know we really talk about them being allies to women and especially women of color they also had all
3: sorts of dalliances complicated right? sexual complicated, relations all as all well yes
0: but in terms of identifying black women artists as being influences you know they are some of the biggest male superstars who just uncategorically went to the mat you know prince at the BET tribute ceremonies had all women performing and Patti LaBelle when she gets to the point of taking off her shoes right but he holds up the shoe and it's just like totally genuflecting or you think about how Bowie talked about Nina and Ertha and Tina as being creators along with him and and that's what we need. We need more of the men who are in power, the male artists who are in power to actually identify and come correct about the women, not just the people of color because we've seen how problematic that can be with the stones and everything, but you know, the the women who are so crucial to their coming into consciousness as artists. Dylan's good about that, but you know, Dylan's also complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it never ends.
1: Yeah. Yes. So you, you you very smartly don't see it happening without like a major push almost from the inside.
3: Yeah, I always yeah. say the you Biden. know there needs to be like a documentary <laughs> or like a biopic. I think if we got a biopic, we could get it. Biopic Something is, could yeah. it. Wow. We, had the, we had the documentary, and but it was a little hard to digest. It yeah. sounds like so. It was yeah.
1: not the type of documentary that would yeah. set up an induction where it's no. like a standard biography. It no. is uh, and and Bammy is mostly concert footage interspersed with just slice of life footage Maybe. of her yeah. and her family and her recording yeah. and it's it's pretty raw and it's artistic but it's not the way that even like the Nina Simone documentary was very much about here is her life and her impact yeah and she did.
0: that was yeah I mean that's a Liz Garbus that was important breakthrough work but again it ended up being about her trauma you know yes
1: right So I think, you know, going into this episode and when, Daphne, you brought her up in email uh, that you wanted to cover her, I was not convinced that Grace Jones should be in the rock hall. But after having done my research and after having talked to you in this episode, to me, it is almost like a foregone conclusion. Like, yes, absolutely. Without Grace Jones, the history of music, let alone pop, and rock. I think if you remove her, it's the stream goes in a different direction. I think she's very, very important, very pivotal. So I have steered the ship in the, in the right direction. <laughs> really you've steered the ship and I'm just on the ship going, Hey, all right, let's do it. We're
0: all uh, riders on that ship. Yeah, Awesome.
1: Will she get into the rock hall? I don't think so. Based on, you know, It all
3: based on gestures (laughs) broadly. It
1: all. I love that. It all. But you know, if it were to happen, I don't see it happening within the next ten years. I think there would have to be a almost like generational shift of like the people in power are no longer in power, and we've got maybe now we've got like the pitchfork set are in control of the rock versus the Rolling Stone set, and then maybe it would be uh, feasible. But at at the way I see it right now, no time in the near future but let's have some fun. Let's pretend Grace Jones is being inducted in the rock hall. It's happening. It's happening right now. And we've played around with this and it's tricky. Who inducts Grace Jones?
3: Yeah, right.
1: And who who would she want to induct her? And that question, I have That's
3: the big question is who she would want. Because I'm like, who I want is, I want Janelle Monae, Lady Gaga, and RuPaul (laughs) together. That would be really fun. It's like, I want some of them, one of them on the induction and then some of them on the, um, you know, like they could, if she, would she perform? We'll talk about that in a second. But any of those three, I'd be very happy with. I was
1: trying to look up like, you know, who she's worked with. Thinking, like, maybe that's a hint as to who she likes, but I don't. It seems like a lot of people she worked with they butted heads. Like, Nile Rogers is someone that right. she worked with, and yes, you know, they seem to be friends going back to like right. the studio 54 days. La Freak, the yep. song was created. Because Nile right. Rogers and, and Bernard Edwards were going to uh, Grace Jones' birthday party at yes. 54 and got turned away at the door. And then they went back and were coming up with a song with the refrain, fuck off. Yep. And then it turned into La Freak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, there's, there's, when you have a history that goes back to like the early days, sometimes that can work. I was like trying to find pictures of Grace Jones with people and trying to tell if like she, <laughs> she was enjoying herself, which is. <laughs> <laughs> Which is difficult because she does Cause have she's that. She's always glare. making
3: that face, wow. yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and and Sting, you know, I found mm. some pictures of her with Sting, but like I, I that really didn't
0: can't. work out, yeah. yeah. they butted heads around Demolition Man,
1: right? Because she she did that that cover of that Police song. <laughs>
3: her, I think,
0: if I'm getting this correct. And then he decided to bring it back to the band. So, uh, And I think that that didn't work out well.
1: <laughs> I, you know, she was on a Gorillaz song
2: a few oh. years ago. I'm gonna take you for a Everything is I just don't know where I'm looking
1: And I was like, okay, maybe, I mean, Damon Albarn is not a huge strange. yeah. but then I was looking up at, at that and it didn't seem like they got along that well either. So it's really, it's a big question mark. The Hall could do something like they did with Steve Miller, which is just pick somebody that Steve Miller doesn't like. You know, and they was that again, the the
3: black keys did a piss poor job. And then, and he was mad about it from the beginning. And then he he was right to be mad mad about it it. it afterwards though.
1: And so, you know, the hall could just be like, no, it's going to be Janelle. It's going to be, right. you know, Alicia Keys. It would be Alicia oh,
3: Keys, unfortunately. It I would think- be Alicia Keys.
1: Or it Miley. would be...
0: Miley, no, she would not, Grace would not let she that happen. She wouldn't attend. That's like a Nicki Minaj level. Like Miley and Taylor have, they're not well-received in the Black community for yeah. a variety of reasons. I think if Prince were alive, that would he she would want that and he would do it. Yeah he you did know, one other he did one induction and it was parliament funkadelic and it was right. beautiful. I think he would do it for Grace.
3: I also just want to say when you go to Grace Jones's Wikipedia page, the third sentence is Jones influenced the cross dressing movement of the 1980s and has been an inspiration for artists including Annie Lennox, Lady Gaga, Rihanna Solange, Lord, Royshan Murphy, Brazilian Girls, Nile Rodgers, Santa Gold, and Basement Jacks. What a weird uh, smattering Assortment. of people, but that's <laughs> the third thing. Also calling it cross dressing is a wild move as well. That's a little well. bit of a throwback. Um, <laughs> right. that's, but okay. a, that's
0: a wild move. I mean, I think that shows the range of your impact. And mm-hmm. I would stand behind most all of those, actually. I'm like, man. In the launch would be somebody... Who would probably do an induction and people might not make that association immediately but given solange's deep immersion in avant-garde the avant-garde art world at this point she would be a really and and is just a very sophisticated and savvy um thinker about culture and politics she she would be amazing to induct grace jones
1: and then if she performs what songs should she play at the induction usually they get three or four songs
0: pull up to the bumper night clubbing <laughs>
1: do you throw in one of the one of the rock covers to kind of appease the crowd definitely maybe love is the drug
0: oh that's true that would be Yeah. yeah. yeah yeah and that's a barn burner that's a banger Which, is great. she still performing? Oh, yeah. She headlined Afropunk, the UK Afropunk, a while back. And I think she also did Brooklyn. I think I saw her at Brooklyn. I know I saw her at Hammerstein Ballroom around the time of the 08 release.
1: She did FYF Fest not too long ago. Yeah. And, and that documentary really shows right. you how cool her yes. visuals still are. Yeah. Or when she performs to the yeah. point where I think maybe she probably wouldn't perform at an induction because they can't, the production Do value cannot what she, needs. What right. she would right. want. Yeah. Now, I know you've been to two induction ceremonies. Mm-hmm. If Grace Jones got in, would you go to an induction?
3: Yeah. <laughs> That w- without a she doubt, she went. She went and watched the stupid Bon Jovi induction I ceremony. Did. She's going to. Well, I, I mean, I've had nice a long to... journey of thinking about
0: the ceremonies. The first time I tried to go was, and I just wrote to them. I wrote to them as a cultural critic, and I was a faculty member at Princeton at the time, so I was nearby. And it was in New York that year, and I, I was trying to get in to see the police induction, and of course nobody wrote me back. And I'm glad I wasn't there because I have feelings about Gwen Stefani who inducted them. Um, I have a lot of of feelings about that. So, you know, I think I swore never to go again, you know, after 2019, but if it's grace, I'll be there.
1: Great. There's a world. We'll see you there. I
3: swore that I'd end the show if Pat Benatar didn't get in last year. And, uh, you know, yet here we are.
1: Promises (laughs) are hard to keep. Truly. Uh, Well, Daphne, thank you so much for doing the show. Uh, This was really, really great. The book is Liner Notes for the Revolution, which is coming out in February, yeah?
0: It is, February
1: 23rd. Available for pre-order?
0: Available for pre-order on your Amazon. Jeff Bezos is holding <laughs> it down. Yeah, you could also pre-order it from a local bookstore it if you want that to. would be a great thing? Some of my favorites, Marcus Books in Oakland and San Francisco, City Lights in San Francisco, my, my home region, uh, anything else video. you'd like okay. to
1: you'd like to plug?
0: This is an exciting time for feminist rock criticism, women of color writing rock criticism, Maureen Mann, who I don't know if she's been on your show yet, has Black Diamond Queens, which is a book about the history of African American women in rock and roll. We've well, we gotta gotta reach out. Yeah, gotta <laughs> gotta reach out. So there's it's a good moment for folks to be raising their voices as taste makers and really just kind of critiquing and opening up how we think about taste altogether. So I'm championing that.
1: Great. That's a, I think that's a good, a good thing and a good cause to champion for sure. People can follow us at RockHallPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email address. If you want Kristen to see that message, you're going to need to designate that somewhere in your email. Otherwise, I'm not going to share it with her because she wouldn't want to see it subscribe to us on apple podcast rate and review us five stars only anything less than five stars is rude why would you do that thank you to mike lloyd for the logo you kim for the music thank you to pantheon podcast for hosting us thank you to akg for the microphone i'm joe quazala
3: i'm kristen studdard
1: and who cares
3: about the rock hall
1: progressive presents adjusting to the suburbs